Section six of the English Restoration and Louis the Fourteenth by Osmond Airy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter three: The Parliamentary Fronde, Part two. Number six: The Court Leaves Paris a Second Time, Beginning of Civil War. The Court had meanwhile, at the desire of the merchants, returned to Paris but the atmosphere was no less charged with trouble than before disappointed at the non-fulfilment of the declaration of october twenty second the parlement was again in uproar de retz fully in his element stirred up the flame of sedition to the utmost he found assistance from the authors of the innumerable pamphlets known as mazarinade libelous writings against the cardinal and the queen which without pretensions of literary merit tickled the ears of the parisians with their mendacious and brutal allusions mazarin pointed out to the queen that the revolution in england had been preceded by a similar phenomenon and bade her remember that when in order to stop such writings charles i had sacrificed strafford he had but begun his own downfall by encouraging the parliament to cry for further concessions secure for the time in the support of conde and orleans the court now determined upon force mazarin had long planned to retire to st germain occupy the strategic points and prevent the entrance of provisions into paris at three in the morning of january fifth sixteen forty nine the queen left the palais royal a second time in haste and secrecy at st germain she was joined by mazarin the princes and the court paris on its awakening heard with stupor and affright of the departure the citizens saw war siege and famine at their gates undismayed however the parlement met all available measures of defence were taken provisions were hastily collected the gates were shut and guarded the civil war had begun number seven the twelve weeks war mazarin had been quietly preparing for this decisive action by collecting troops in the neighbourhood of paris and although they were yet too few to form any real blockade he was able so far to hinder the entry of supplies that serious inconvenience was soon felt the shopkeepers with a considerable body within the parlement were anxious to come to terms but the earnest opponents of absolutism with the discontented noblesse and the lower classes were bent upon resistance de retz was ceaselessly active and under his influence the mob was soon in a state of wild excitement the houses of known adherents of the court were pillaged and any who attempted to escape to Ruel ran serious risk of their lives. An army of twelve thousand men was raised, de Retz furnishing a regiment of cavalry at his own expense, and a heavy war tax was voted for their payment. A royal edict ordering the Parlement to retire to Montargis was met by a vote to demand the immediate dismissal and banishment of Mazarin the frondeurs had indeed raised an army but it was one that could not be trusted to meet the regular troops and it was without leaders who could be opposed to conde the general du mazarin as he was now called the want was partially supplied by the arrival of the duke of elbeuf an old opponent of richelieu he was at once named 
commander-in-chief. His dignity, however, was short-lived. The divisions within the Condé family and the jealousy of Mazarin were skilfully made use of by de Retz and the prince's sister, the Duchess of Longueville. They sent secretly to Saint-Germain to offer the post to Conti, Condé's brother, a youth both physically and mentally infirm, and on the night of January 7th, Conti, Longueville, Marciac, and La Motte-Houdecourt deserted the court. They were soon joined by Beaufort and by Bouillon, the brother of Turenne. Danger threatened from two other quarters, Turenne, the general of greatest repute in France after Condé, and greatly Condé's superior in tactical skill, was on the frontier with a large body of troops, partly French and partly Alsatian mercenaries, whom he was endeavouring to induce to follow him against the royal forces. Normandy, where the Longueville family was powerful, was preparing for revolt. The dangers, however, were well and coolly met. Normandy rose, but the Duke of Longueville, who had been sent thither by his wife, was completely kept in check by Arcourt for the king, and when Turenne had resolved to march to Paris, he found that before he could do so, he should have to fight his own troops. The mercenaries had been made safe by the distribution of three hundred thousand livres. Never had Mazarin applied money to better purpose. Turenne at once retired to Heilbronn and thence to Holland, until the end of the Twelve Weeks' War. Meantime, within Paris, the insurrection was in full swing. The Bastille and the Arsenal had been taken by the Frondeurs, while the surprise of Charenton at the junction of the Marne and Seine secured for a time a free entry for provisions. But here the successes of the Frondeurs ceased. An attempt by Beaufort to take Corbeil was ignominiously defeated. More than one sortie was driven back, and Charenton was recaptured by Condé on February 8th. A natural reaction, headed by the clergy, began to declare itself. For a time, the violent section fought hard to keep the upper hand. An emissary of the court who was found distributing loyal literature was closely imprisoned. A herald from the king to the parlement was refused admittance on the curious ground that heralds could pass only between enemies and equals, and that to receive him would be to admit that the parlement was the enemy and the equal of the king. Still the credit of the irreconcilables was daily growing less, the process of disintegration being aided by the vexatious nature of the devices for raising money. To provide a fresh stimulus for this flagging spirit, de Retz now began to intrigue directly with Spain. The Spaniards were ready enough to meet these advances, for they were anxious to avenge their defeats in the field at Roquois and Lens, and their discomfiture in diplomacy by the Treaty of Westphalia. On February 19th, Conti informed the Parlement that an envoy of the Archduke Leopold, the governor of the Low Countries, prayed for audience. This envoy was a monk, sent indeed by the Archduke, but whose address to the Parlement was actually prepared for him by de Retz. His admission, however, caused forcible protests from the moderate party. Can it be, exclaimed the president de Mesma, that a prince of the blood proposes to grant, amid the fleur-de-lis, an audience to the representative of the bitterest enemy of the fleur-de-lis? 
further checks and skirmishes with the royal troops led to bickering among generals who were rebels from selfishness alone while the inconvenience and positive distress which was now beginning to be felt were doing their natural work an event moreover had occurred abroad which had remarkable effect the execution of charles i in england so far from encouraging the frondeurs shocked the conscience of a people who whatever else they might be fighting against had no thought of fighting against monarchy while the presence of henrietta maria in paris in need so great that she owed to de retz the provision of a fire in the bitter winter weather served to heighten the effect moreover the news of longueville's fiasco in normandy and of turenne's flight to holland had by this time reached the harassed and disheartened city tired of rebellion which was not successful of exactions from which no results were forthcoming and of leaders who showed no capacity for leadership the parlement on february twenty eighth decided to send deputies to treat with the court though forbidden to hold communication with mazarin it was characteristic of mazarin that he never at any time took public notice of personal slights he was perfectly willing now to humour the more violent members of the parlement when they refused to treat with him in person an arrangement was made by which the parties to the conference met on march fourth in separate rooms and communicated with each other only through their secretaries the following conditions were agreed to the parlement was to show its obedience by coming to saint-germain to attend a lit de justice it was to hold no assembly without the royal permission during sixteen forty nine all its arrays passed since january sixth were to be annulled including those against the cardinal as also those by the council against the parlement the troops in paris were to be disbanded and the inhabitants were to lay down their arms the bastille and arsenal were to be given back to the king and a second envoy who had come from the archduke was to be at once dismissed on the other hand the king was to set all prisoners at liberty to grant a general amnesty and to return to paris as soon as his affairs would allow the declarations of july and october were to be confirmed the claims of the parlement of rouen and aix were to receive a favourable treatment and finally the right of the parlement to take part in state affairs was at length to be admitted by the appointment of a member of the parlement to assist in the negotiations with spain nothing but necessity would have wrung this from mazarin he knew however that turenne had again offered an army to the insurgents that the archduke was about to invade france and that if he did so the siege of paris would have to be raised for a moment it seemed as if even now the concessions were to no purpose the energy of de retz still kept up the violence of the extremists the signature of mazarin to the treaty made them furious they inveighed against the weak compliance of their representatives they demanded that the treaty should be burnt language borrowed from england was for the first time heard the kings made the parliaments it is true but the people made the kings the cry for a republic was actually raised once more it appeared prudent to give way leopold was already on french soil his vanguard had reached pontevere on the Aisne. the court receded so far as to relinquish the lit de justice and the interdiction of the assemblies should this concession not satisfy the frondeurs it was determined to attack paris with all possible force 
while the Weimarian general Erlach, with the mercenaries in the pay of the court, faced the archduke. Meanwhile, every effort was made to detach the generals of the Fronde from the Parlement. It was a mere question of money. With the single exception of de Retz, they handed in the personal demands upon the concession of which they offered to come over to the court. Rochefoucauld demanded the tabouret for his wife and for himself eighteen thousand livres. Conti claimed a position in the council and the government of some strong place. Longueville wanted an important government in Normandy, with reversion to his children. Elbeuf asked for the payment of large sums, which he claimed to be due to him and his wife. Beaufort demanded Brittany for his father Vendôme, and money for himself. Boulon asked for himself a vast sum of money as compensation for the loss of Sedan, and for Turenne the government of Alsace and Philipsburg. Houdincourt required seven hundred thousand livres. Their greed was satisfied sufficiently to win them for the time. Mazarin steadfastly refused to grant away provinces or strong places, and they, like true hagglers, took what they could get in money and in promises. On April 1st, all coherence of resistance being thus at an end, the Parlement met under a strong guard for fear of the mob, and ratified the peace. It was obvious, however, that an arrangement which had been brought about by necessity on either side, and by which neither party had gained its objects, was destined to be but a truce. The discontent with Mazarin remained as it was, the nobles were neither contented nor intimidated, and the government felt that it had succeeded in obtaining a virtual victory less by its own strength than by the weakness of its enemies. Had the provinces to any considerable extent espoused the cause of the Fronde, Mazarin could scarcely have escaped complete discomfiture. But Brittany, the most important, had remained thoroughly loyal. Champagne and Poitou, though excited, were easily kept in submission, and the revolt in Normandy had no popular basis. In Aix-en-Provence the Frondeurs had taken up arms. By wise conciliation, however, Mazarin had secured their submission without bloodshed, and had induced the Parlement of Aix, by some increase of its privileges, to annul all the acts passed during the late troubles. The really serious outbreak was in Guienne, where a feud was raging between Epernon the governor and the Parlement of Bordeaux. The result was disastrous to the Bordelais. On May 16th, the rebels were defeated in a battle which soon became a massacre, in which three thousand men were slaughtered. Mazarin seized the opportunity to endeavor to re-establish the intendants in the provinces. Foiled in this, he partially gained the end in another way, by choosing commissioners from the parliamentary families, and by thus associating the Parlement itself with the reorganization of the provincial administration. During the daily complications of this struggle, Mazarin had, with unwavering firmness, been conducting the negotiations for peace with spain firmness indeed was needed for spain relying upon his difficulties had been endeavouring to impose hard conditions it is significant of his confidence in the momentary character of those difficulties that from the treaty of westphalia he steadfastly refused the slightest concessions even now, though the Spaniards were on French soil, and though Ypres and Saint-Venant had both fallen into their hands, 
his only thought was to win some brilliant success in the field which like the victories of rocroix and lens should smooth the path at home Arcour, therefore the ablest of the royal officers after conde was sent to besiege cambrai while in order to be near the seat of war the court took up its quarters at amiens the spaniards however were able to throw reinforcements into the place and the siege had to be raised the check was brilliantly redeemed by the capture of the fortress of conde commanding the junction of the Anne and the Scheldt, and although this place had in turn to be abandoned, the great point had been gained of proving that France was still in a state of elastic vigour. Mazarin, meanwhile, continued his dealings with the leaders of the Fronde. His first step was significant of the character of the time. Through the agency of one of her lovers, he secured the Duchess of Chevreuse, the chief instigator of the plots with Spain, and through her he gained over in turn the support of many of his most dangerous opponents two important exceptions however occurred to his conquests beaufort declined all bribes he preferred to remain the roi des alles de retz though he attended the court steadfastly refused to see mazarin at length on august eighteenth sixteen forty nine it was thought safe for the court to return the king's cortege was accompanied through the streets with enthusiastic cries of welcome even the hatred against mazarin always probably more fictitious than real appeared to have vanished and he was everywhere received with respect the parliamentary fronde was at an end and to all appearances the danger and confusion were past as a matter of fact a storm to which the last had been child's play was about to break upon Mazarin. End of section 6